Aren't you glad they made it? I mean, you know, it's good to know that they made it. I, I know some of y'all are going, oh, no, what are my children going to see in church today? They made it. It's a good thing. Hey, we are so glad you are here. How many of y'all are glad to be in the house of the Lord today? Let God know it. Amen. We are really glad you're here. And, you know, this is one of my favorite things that we do every year. And uh, what time is it? Yeah, I've got, yeah, we'll make time. But anyway, I just wanted to, I want to put my input as pastor. Um, this is just an incredible opportunity to minister. And I'd lean over and told you, I'm not sure that worked during the worship time because a lot of boxes are still here. And this is usually one of the things we run out of. And so here's what I want to do. Let me get, um, let me see, Charlie. Would you mind at the invitation time, when I'm done with the invitation at the end, would you grab that stat and go stand at that door? Okay. And over here, where's Joe at? Yeah, I got Joe. Joe, would you mind grabbing that stack and going back at the door? Okay? And then we're going to leave two stacks here, and I'll remind you at the end, hopefully, to come out and get your boxes. And I want to challenge you something. You know, I, I, I am financially, God just blessed Judy and I more than we were talking about yesterday. You know, for, for, a, for a southern boy and a Valdosta girl, God's just taken us on a journey. It's just been incredible. And so I told Judy, I said, Judy, get four boxes. We're going to double up. So I want to challenge you today. This is a pastoral, the, gr- the grotlet. The gauntlet. The gauntlet. The gauntlet's being thrown down. If, if God has blessed you and you're in a position financially to double up, if you've got four in your family, do eight. I want to challenge Dorisville Baptist Church to do more than we ever had. And if you're in a position where you can double up, I mission the double up challenge this week. Let's see what God can do. Just knowing, I love that story, just knowing that there's a child out there that is going to get your box. And under the sovereignty of God, he's got that child and your box picked out. It's incredible. Um, We're reading that book that Amanda talked about. We're reading that book. And there's so many amazing stories of, of a child having a certain need and that need being met. So this is an opportunity, guys, to reach out, to love on children, to go around the world with a glorious gospel. I love the video today. You know why? Because it showed something, how the church in America is partnering with the church around the world. And in case you didn't grab what the guy was saying, in a lot of places where Christianity is a minority, they're they're ostracized. They're cast away. They're put out. No one wants to hear about the church. But when the church over there walks in with gifts... From here, it earns them a trust. It earns them a factor. When those boxes are distributed, all of a sudden that community, he wanted nothing to do with the gospel, nothing to do with the church, all of a sudden says, oh, wait a minute. These people love us and care for us. They have given us gifts. So let's do a big thing. Let's double up. Let's do an amazing thing. Now, here's what I want you to do next week. Um, When you bring your boxes in next Sunday morning for worship, go ahead and bring them here. And we're going to fill the altar up with our boxes and we'll pray over them. And then we'll, we'll let Bert and the guys worry about hauling them down to the, or up to the upper gym. God bless you, Bert and Adrian, those guys. All right? But go ahead and bring your boxes here and we're going to stack them up. Can we do it? Come on. Can we do it? Come on now. Come on. Now, listen. This is fun. I know sometimes giving's not fun, you know. It's kind of like you got the flu. This is fun. You go out with your family. You go to, to one of the local merchants. We, Go and say dollar store is a great place. The dollar general stores, those kind of places are really good places to go. In fact, when you walk in there for the, for the dollar store, they're going to say, oh, I know what you're doing because you go look for toothbrushes and there aren't any because everybody in the world's already brought toothbrushes. 
okay, and toothpaste. So it's just a wonderful thing you can do with your family. Then you go out to eat afterwards, just have a great time. It really is an opportunity to see what Christmas is all about. All right, well, I hope we'll jump on that like white on rice, and we'll see an incredible outpouring um, this morning, starting this morning with the boxes, and go out and fill those boxes. Hey, let's pray. Father, again, I want to thank you for this glorious opportunity to be in your house today. And God, I want to thank you and bless, Father, the efforts of the people already as we take boxes and as we, um, Father, fill them with love and the purpose of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, I pray you'll, you will help us, Father, to, to even give sacrificially for this cause. We have seen the evidence. We know this is a tool that you are using. We saw on the news where in Kampala, Uganda, where we were at, that a warehouse of shoe boxes were finally released by the government, and they went out to over 800 children in Kampala. We see the evidence of this, Father, and we want to be a big part of that. So may our generosity genes just, just overflow, and, Father, may we give and give generously to children around the world. And, Jesus, we pray this in your precious name. Amen. Amen. Hey, we're in week four of our series, Sweet Temptation. And today, as you see on the screen, we're going to talk about taming the lion. We're going to see how we resist Satan. Now, now a little bit of a dis disclaimer, a little bit of a caveat is this. Some of the things I want to share with you today, I'm almost certain we have shared on a Sunday night and perhaps on a Wednesday night, but I don't believe we shared this particular scripture on a Sunday morning. So if it does sound familiar, um, please understand, I just think this teaching is so important uh, in the teaching of temptation, it's very important that we nail this down. And as we know, often when there's repetition, that is when we learn the most, okay? So if it's, some of it sounds familiar, if the scripture sounds familiar, please understand it's intentional. I'm trying to cement the Word of God into our hearts about how we can be victorious over this roaring line wannabe. Our scripture is found in 1 Peter and chapter 5, verse number 5 through 11. Now, we've all seen lion tamers before. I remember going to a circus, and while I don't particularly remember the lion tamer part of it, we know that's part of the Ringling Barman Bailey Circus, and the guy will be in there with a real lion. He'll usually have a whip and some kind of an object to hold the lion at bay. And we know several things. First off, it, it's really quite a brave thing to get into a cage with a lion. We get that. But we also know this, that he probably didn't learn that yesterday. That, that somewhere along the journey of his career, perhaps his dad was a lion tamer, he learned from people who were experienced and learned how to tame a lion. So, so he gained experience over a period of time. You don't survive as a lion tamer going in cold turkey. You normally learn it from someone that's experienced. Now, also we know this. He has a healthy respect for the lion. And I hope I've taught you over the last three weeks, this being week number four, that, that Satan is real. That the Lord Jesus um, believed in a literal Satan, and so do we. We know that when he uh, was cast out of heaven, uh, millions perhaps of demonic spirits were cast out with him, angels that fell with him. And so he's a real being, he's a real powerful being, but he is nothing compared to God. That's a good place to say amen. He is nothing compared to our God. But he is worthy of a kind of respect, just like you respect a rattlesnake, just like you respect, respect a, a, a copperhead, just like you respect an alligator, so we respect this, this lion wannabe. So we want to look at today, how can we become victorious in a very practical way 
over this adversary, over the devil. Well, Peter starts with something in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5 through 11. He begins with something that, well, it's just kind of different. Let, let me read it to you. In verse number 5, he says this. Likewise, in the same way, he says, Peter speaking, um, you younger people, and this is New King James, I believe, um, you younger people submit yourselves to your elders. Okay? So, likewise, now, now again, the overall picture of this is Peter is talking about suffering. And the big picture is he's talking to Christians who are in an environment where they're suffering. He also knows that when suffering comes the tendency to doubt God. When things are difficult, it's at that point that the devil will whisper in our ears that God doesn't care, that God forgot, that God's not able. He's very much aware of that. So he gives us teaching then with that kind of an atmosphere of suffering and enduring suffering. He gives us that in that atmosphere. He gives us ideas on how to be an overcomer against the evil one. And you kind of go, well, Dwayne, how does this tie in? You younger people submit yourselves to your elders. Well, the last thing, if you're, if you're probably, first off, if you're a student, the last thing you want is some old preacher okay, with gray hair to stand up and tell you how you ought to respect your parents and you ought to respect police, you ought to respect this. I get that. And that is not my major thrust today as far as just as students, but all of us. But the bottom line is respect has fallen out of vogue in our culture. I mean, as, as a group of, of culture of Americans particularly, now you don't see this in Africa. You don't see, I didn't see this in the Philippines. There was a general respect for elders. But, but in America, respect for older people, experienced people, has kind of fallen out of vogue. I'm, I'm 60 years old, so I was born in 1954, and I was raised in a culture where you just respected your elders. It just happened. I mean, it just did. My dad was not a fantastic dad. Um, you know, I was number eight. By the time I came along, I was just kind of like an addition to the family. I don't have that close bond that some of you have with a dad. I just didn't have that. He was a good dad, I suppose, but I didn't have that close, intimate bond. But let me tell you something about, about me and my dad. I respected my father. I was, it's just culture I was in. Um, if not particularly that he earned my respect in the sense of way he, you know, way he loved me and everything, it wasn't that. It was just that in his position as a dad... I was raised to respect him. I'm still here to this day. He would holler, Dwayne, and I would say something I, I hear some people say, um, particularly a young man named little Dave Higgs. I'll hear him say, I uh, heard myself say, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Now, that was a term of respect. Um, I never called my father the old man. Uh, some who did did not live to tell about it. Okay, um, but no, he would say, hey, Dwayne, and I would say, yes, sir, and he goes, come here, and then if it wasn't an immediate response, he would respond with, make me know it, make me know it. In other words, hey, you said you're coming, and, and respect me as your elder, and come. So that's just the way kind of, you know, my culture was. Um, I remember, now this is not a big deal now, but again, my culture was just different. You know, we, um, we were a good, tight youth group, and we didn't get in much trouble the, the wildest thing we ever did was toilet paper people, people's house. And back then, the parents didn't go with you. You know, you know, Jonathan tickles me. Jonathan takes faith toilet paper. You know? My dad never, that never crossed his mind, I promise you. 
But anyway, so, so one night we decided we'd go toilet papering, okay? And, of course, we wouldn't do it outside the church, okay? We did it in the church. So there were three of us that were really tight. There, there was Doug and Dave and me, and we sang in a group together. And so one of the buds in the youth group wasn't there that night, so we decided we would toilet paper his house, okay? So, so we sneak into the neighborhood, and we do a very nice job. We do a very nice job. And so we, we do it, did not get caught, and pulled away to watch him discover the, the toilet paper job. He didn't come out. So we finally rung the doorbell and ran, and they came out, and oh my goodness, and da-da-da-da, and all this, you know. And, and so they clean up all the toilet paper. We're watching. We're underneath the car of the neighbor's yard. Okay? We decided, since it went over so good the first time, see, we weren't very good at this. We weren't good at being bad. We decided we would do it again. So we sneak over, and we're just about halfway done, and the porch light comes on. Have you ever seen me run? You would have seen me that night. I mean, we took off. Oh, no, we said. And we started running down the road, and Mr. Hale, H-A-L-E, came out and gave chase. I had to think what... His name, first name was, his name was George. I had to think about that because all I knew him as was Mr. Hale. He was a deacon in the church. He was a stern man. And so we haul off and we're running. He's chasing us. And then we finally get in a a person's garage. We did not know who they were. They had carports down there, actually. And we're under the car and we see foot, foot, legs. Boys, come out. Oh, crud. This is not going to go over well. So we're sitting there, and, and I was short then, and there was Doug, and there was David, and there was me, and we're standing there, and here's what he said. Never forget. Boys, I want you to know I'm disappointed in you. And turned around and walked off. We slithered down the road. I mean, we were literally destroyed. Because someone, a senior, an an elder, a person that we had respected, knew that we had failed him. He didn't have to call our parents. He didn't have to call. I was with the preacher's son. Didn't need to call the pastor. I mean, we were just literally devastated. Why so? Because someone that we deeply respected showed disapproval. And that was all the punishment that we needed. Well, that kind of respect has slowly slipped away. Uh, I love it when, when, again, I'm sure I did this as a child, but it tickles me with my grandkids. There's one in particular who's pretty strong-willed, and we would want to help them. You know, like if it's, for instance, putting a puzzle together, and I would, I've done puzzles before. I mean, especially like the eight-piece kind. I've got those dudes down. I can do this. And so, so I'm sitting there, and, and it was hope. And so we were sitting there, and I'm trying to help her put the puzzle down. And she goes, Papa, I can do it. Okay, man. Knock yourself. 30 minutes later, she's still trying to do it. But don't mess with her because she thought she could do it. And that's kind of how when we're younger, we have a tendency to go through life Don't tell me what to do. I can do it. Now, there's a scripture. It's on your sermon sheet. And and, um, and it's uh, Proverbs chapter 7, verse 6 through 9. The Bible says, 
For at the window of my house, and this is Solomon speaking, he said, and I've got a reason where I'm going, by the way, in case I've lost you totally. For at the window of my house, I looked through the lattice, my lattice, and I saw among the simple, I perceived among the youths. Now, so, so we have a group of young people, and, and Solomon uses the word simple, and he points out one particular youth. Now, students, hear me carefully. The way he uses this word is not an insult. Okay, normal sometimes when we say somebody's simple-minded, it's kind of an insult to them. That is not what Solomon's saying. You could easily say with, with, the, with the Hebrew word here, you could say, and I saw among the inexperienced. This, this group of young people that he saw were simply lacking in experience. And guess what? You know, if you're 12, 14, 16, 20, 25, and perhaps even 60 there are areas in your life you've not gained experience. And Solomon saw this, and he saw these group of people who lacked experience. And there's nothing wrong with lacking experience. If you're 15 today, goodness sake, you don't know a whole about the world. You've, you've not experienced all the world yet. And guess what? Someone who's 85 will tell you they've not experienced at all. There's nothing wrong with being experienced. We kind of want to push back and say, well, well, I don't know because I've never experienced that. Like it's some kind of an insult. It's not. We, there are just areas in our lives when we're not experienced. So he saw these inexperienced youth, but among that group, he saw a young man devoid of understanding. He evidently saw a, man, a young man who was cocky and arrogant said, don't tell me and I can do it. I don't need anybody. I'm my own man. I'm only 12, but I'm my own man. I can figure it out. Mom and dad, don't you tell me. Preacher, don't you tell me. Uh, school, school officials, don't tell me. Teacher, don't tell me. Don't tell me. I've got it all figured out. He saw a young man like this. And it grieved him because he saw, the Bible says, he saw him pass along the street near her corner. And you can read the whole scripture to figure out what her corner is. And he took the path to her house in the twilight and the evening and the black and dark of night. So this, this arrogant, not, not just inexperienced, because a lot of people are inexperienced. I'm inexperienced in a lot of things. I've never deer hunted in my life. If you are to call me up and say, hey, you want to go deer hunting? I would tell you, I don't have a clue about it. There are lots of things we're unexperienced in. Being inexperienced is not a deal. But when we're arrogant and say, I will figure it out, I will get it, it gets us in deep weeds. Now, the story here is this youth, the simple man, is heading to an adulterous woman. And the Bible simply says this at the end. It says, it's leading the path of death. So the thing we can do, students, the thing we need to do, adults, is to remain teachable. To understand we have not experienced everything in life, and we can experience, we can learn things two ways. The hard way or from another. And I want to encourage particularly our young students, but also all of us, to remain teachable. Why in the world go through something very, very difficult and learn that way when I can learn when someone else has already gone through it? So Satan's about his business of temptation. I'm telling you, it's a wise thing. It's a wise thing. It's a wise thing to seek those who have gone through situations and learn that way rather than going through it. I promise you guys, students, again, adults, many of us can stand and say, I've done that. It didn't go well. I've done that. Don't do that. I, I've been there. I've done that. It didn't go well. It didn't bode well. So really file that one away. File that away in your memory. It's better to learn from somebody else's experience 
then you experience it and going through the consequences of the sin. Let me give you two scriptures. If you're anyway taking notes, I was going to read them, but I can tell we're not going to make this uh, if I'm not careful. Proverbs 9, 4 through 6. Proverbs 9, 4 through 6. And Proverbs 1, or 7, 1 through 5. Proverbs 7, 1 through 5. Those are two very good scriptures from the book of Proverbs that will teach us about learning about experience. Now, Peter goes on, and he, it's cool because he doesn't stop there. He goes, yes, all of you be submissive. All of you show mutual respect. All of you remain teachable. Now, again, if you're 60 years old, if you're 50 years old, we have a real tendency to say, I've learned it all. Not so. Peter tells us to remain learners, to remain teachers, to maintain a mutual respect. He goes on and says this. Um, All of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. This is so cool, I think. This is where, again, I'm not a Greek person, but again, the commentary pointed this out. The word clothed there is a Greek word that means to take the apron. To take the apron. And what it refers to is a slave's apron. It's the clothing of a slave. It's the exact picture of what happened in the upper room. When Jesus has disciples there, and the Bible says he took off his outer garment, he laid that aside, and he picked up the towel and basin, he took up the apron. And Peter says it's hugely important for us to remain humble. We've got to understand that we are dependent on God. We're not independent from God. We're dependent on God. And listen to this. We're not independent of each other. We need each other. So Peter says, take up the apron. Clothe yourself with this servant's apron, with humility. For God, now listen, if you take nothing else, take this home. God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. He resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. Now, why is this so significant to God? You remember what Satan said? Isaiah chapter 7, Isaiah chapter 14. I will ascend. I will. I will. I will. It was pride and arrogance that got Satan cast out of heaven. It was the sin. And God, listen, that word resist, you need to write this down. If you're writing your Bible, circle that word resist. It means to oppose. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. How many of y'all are just anxious for God to oppose you on something? I don't think it's too wise. I would much rather be a recipient of his grace. Come on, amen? So God resists. Listen, pride is a big sin. Pride is a big sin. Pride is a big sin. And God resists or opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So Paul, Peter says, okay, listen, if you lack experience... Find someone who has that experience and learn from them. In fact, all of us should remain teachable. All of us should be learners till the last heartbeat. Because God opposes those who say, I don't need help. I'm independent of you, God. I can handle it. If I get in trouble, I'll call you. Wrong old bucko. We need to depend on God through every step of our life. Amen? Okay, now... Now, look at verse number 6 and 7. Therefore, Peter says, again, because of all of that, he says, humble yourselves. Um, 
And literally in the Greek it means to, to allow yourself to be humbled. To allow yourself to be humbled. Under the mighty hand of God. That is nothing short of a pure example of the authority, the power, and the sovereignty of God. So Peter says, if we're going to be good line tamers, we have got to submit to the authority, to the power, and to the sovereignty of God. Humble yourself. Allow yourself to be humbled under the authority of God. Now listen, again, this is an important teaching because that's not how we live. We normally want to do things our way until things get so difficult, the consequences are so great, and then we say, hey, God, I need you. God wants us to say, I need you. I need you, I need you every single day, every single moment of every day. There's a pushback because of pride. The reason, the reason we resist things is because of pride. I, you know, I want to do it my way, Frank Sinatra said. Uh, the gentleman in the cemetery has the big ma- a mausoleum that says, I did it my way. I'm not sure I would boast about that. It's a dangerous thing. So before, but before you push back, now get this. Before you push back from this, allow yourself to be humbled, examine the hands. Examine the hands. Allow yourself to be humbled under the mighty hand of God. So while you're submitting to the mighty sovereignty and power and authority of God, as you are under the hand of God, look up. Because you're going to see a hand with a nail print in it. Come on now. You're going to see a hand, as you just showed in the video, you're going to see a hand with a hole in it. God's not just trying to be the boss of your life. He is trying to be your rescuer. He is your redeemer. Let him rescue you day after day after day. Examine the hand. Listen to this wonderful verse from Isaiah. Isaiah 49, 15. Can a woman forget her nursing child that she would have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, God says. Even a woman may forget her nursing child. Yet I will not forget you. And David, you referenced this not too long ago. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. What a wonderful scripture. So if you push back from the authority of God, just look at the hand that you're pushing back from. It's a hand that was pierced on a rugged cross like this. It's the hand of a man who who allowed himself to be nailed to a Roman cross, not martyred, not murdered. He willingly submitted to the cross that we could have redemption and forgiveness of sins, that we could be called the children of God. It's those hands. That you'll see over your head. So examine the hands. He goes on to this. He said that he may exalt you in due time. In other words, if you will submit to God, if you'll submit to that that nail-scarred hand, if you'll submit to his power and his authority, there's a time of exaltation coming. Probably not here. But definitely later. In a place called there. He will exalt you in due time. And look, 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 look. Casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Wow. Wow. Now, the the lion, the lion wannabe, the enemy, the adversary, the devil will tell you that God doesn't care. 
Have you heard this voice? If, if God cared, you wouldn't be sick. If God cared, your child wouldn't have died. If, if God cared, you wouldn't have lost your job. If, if God cared, you would have got the promotion. If God cared, they would, they would have made you a deacon. If God, if God, if God, if God. That's what the liar will speak. Would you hear the voice of the word of God that says, for he careth for you. That hand that you see with the nail print declares for all eternity, I love you. Now, again, we're just fixing to look. If you'll, if you'll listen to the voice of Satan, it's a lie. But you probably won't hear Satan whispering, but I love you. But you will hear the voice of God declaring, shouting, proclaiming his love for you. You know, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest in your whole souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. God says, put your care on me. This, this, this adversary is too great for you. This situation is too great for you. This circumstance is too great for you. This consequence may be too great for you. Cast it on me. Because he cares for you. And then Peter really gives us the core thought of how to be a lion tamer. He tells us, be sober. If you're taking notes, you'll write down, be self-controlled. Be an individual that has mastery through Christ. Be self-controlled. Be vigilant. Be alert. Be on guard. Because your adversary, and if you want to circle that word in your Bible, it of course means what it sounds like, your enemy. He's not your friend. I don't care what he says. I don't care what he promises. I don't care what he convinces you of. You deserve this. He is your enemy. Say it with me, please. He's my enemy. Now believe that. Believe that. He's a literal being. He is demonic spirits. And he is your enemy. He is the devil, Peter says. He is the slanderer. He wants to slander God. He wants to slander God's children. He wants to be able to speak lies on you. Don't give him that opportunity. Don't believe the lies he tells about your heavenly father who loves you. You see, Peter says he is like a roaring lion. And this is that teaching that God showed me one day. And I'm sure it's not even original. I'm sure a zillion preachers. But one day, just I had this epiphanal moment with God in me. He said, Dwayne, your adversary is like a roaring lion. And I'll show you something else this morning. You see, there's a lion and there's a lion wannabe. We serve the lion of Judah. We serve the Lion of Judah. He is the King of Kings. He is the Lord of Lords. And like Satan, he says two things with his roar. One is a roar of invitation. You know, to, today, the Lion of Judah is roaring, God speaking through, through his son, saying, I have died for you, I love you, and I invite you to come into my family by God's amazing grace. It's an invitation to join his pride. Now, you know, animal 
Lions have prides. And, and Jesus is shouting from the cross today and from his word today. If you're here and you've got religion and you've got good works, but you know you don't have grace. He's shouting to you, come. Come, I've died for you. Come, I want to forgive you. But not only does he roar to invite, he roars to declare his kingdom. He roars to say, I am the king, not of the jungle. I am the king of kings. And I am the Lord of lords. You've, you've watched the Discovery Channel. You've watched the Animal Channel. When, when a lion is fixing to chase a gazelle, chase an antelope, he doesn't go roar and say, here I come, you better run. What does he do? He sneaks. And this is what God showed me. That this Satan, first off, he's not a roaring lion. There's one king. There's one lion. But he wants to be like. What did Isaiah 14 say? I will be like the Most High. So Satan roars not as a true lion, but as a lion wannabe. And he lies, he lies, roars for two reasons. He invites people to his pride, and he tries to declare his territory. A stalking lion, no, that's not the picture given. It's a lion of lies. And he roars, sounding like a lion, and says, come into my pride. If you will come be a member of my pride, I'll give you. I'll make you. I'll, you, you want a promotion? I'll give you that promotion. You want, you want prestige? I'll give you prestige. C come be a part of my lion. He tries to pull the believer. First, he tries to keep the lost person out of the pride. And he pulls, tries to pull the reputation of a member of the pride into his. He can never, never lose your salvation. But he can steal your testimony. He can steal your character. So he roars and says, I'll give you more. And look at me. He's a liar. He's a liar. He's a liar. I guess you'll either get mad at me or not, but one of my members told me, one of our members told me about three weeks ago when we were talking about grass on the other side of the fence. You know why the grass is green on the other side of the fence? It's full of poop. It's full. Sure, it looks greener. But just remember what's over there. And secondly, this. He tries to declare territory. That's fear. He wants to sound like this roaring lion, this lion wannabe. I'm king. I'm greater than God. You better be afraid of me. I can strike you with cancer. I can cause. I can go. Not unless God says yes. He does not have free will to strike the child of God anytime he wants. Read the book of Job. Read about Peter and Jesus. I'm telling you guys, we serve the real deal. We serve the almighty, omnipotent God. And Satan ain't got anything on him. Satan's got nothing on him. But we've got to be sober. We've got to be vigilant because he's like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. There's more than one way to skin a cat and there's one way to, more than one way to devour. He wants so badly for you, the child of God, to have no testimony. 
New Testament. He wants to take your marriage. Do you understand that, ma'am? Do you understand that, sir? He wants your marriage ripped apart. He wants your child ripped from you. He, he wants your child seeing the hypocrisy in, in, in the church walking away from God because of the hypocrisy. He wants. That's why we got to tame the lion. And we can't do it, but we can do it through Christ. He says, be sober, be vigilant, uh, seeking, because the lion is seeking whom he may devour. Resist him. Resist him. Be steadfast in the faith. Can I tell you what that means? How do you resist? Does this sound familiar? Be filled with the Spirit. Every believer has the Holy Spirit within them. Yield to the Holy Spirit. Get off the throne of your heart and give it back to God and say, God, you can do this better than me. You rule. You rule. Because I don't do it very well. And I think that also we taught that Jesus, every time he was tempted, said, as it is written. It's been said. As it is written. Be filled with the Spirit. How do you resist Satan? Be filled with the Spirit. How do you resist Satan? Be filled with the Word. Let the Word of Christ dwell, dwell richly in you. Get into this blessed book and let the book get into you. It's a great weapon. It's how you tame the lion. Resist him. Resist him. Remain steadfast in your faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. And Peter's saying, under the umbrella of the suffering and temptation and all of that, you're not by yourself. Satan wants you to believe that you're the only one. We're going to talk about this next week, so I've got to be careful not to preach next week's sermon. He wants you to think you're the only one. No one goes through what you're going through. That's a lie. That's a lie. And that is the danger, by the way, of you walking away from church. That's the danger. When all of a sudden it seems more attractive to do something else on Sundays than go to the house of God, that's why that's so important. Because when a person is by himself, well, you've seen the National Geographic. Who does the lion, who does the cheetah go after? Weak, solo, sick, young. He, he spots out the most likely candidate. Who is the most likely candidate for a roaring lion wannabe to grab and destroy reputations? Some Christian who said... I can do it by myself. I don't need to get up and go to church. The churches, the golf course is where I worship. The lake is where I worship. I get one day off a week. Sure, you don't expect me to get up and go to church. It's not about expecting, dude. Do that. It is about the fact that Satan wants to devour you. He wants your husband. He wants your wife. He wants your children. He wants your career. He wants your reputation. And spending two and a half hours on Sunday morning or night in the house of God will help prevent that? I say, yay. That's why. That's why you need what happens here on Sunday mornings or Sunday nights or Wednesday nights. That's why you need that. Because your brothers are suffering with you and they can encourage you. And then quickly we close with the most important weapon of all, perhaps. But may the God of all grace, verse 10, 11. May the God of all grace who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To him 
be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Perhaps the greatest weapon in taming a lion is worship. It's coming, and whether it's in your quiet room, worshiping with him with, through the word of God and, or through music, through prayer, whether it's worshiping here corporately, whether it's worshiping in your Sunday school class, worship is a powerful weapon against the lion wannabe. So Peter says, to him be glory and dominion forever and forever. Satan wants to be victorious. Christ has made us victorious. So, Dwayne, you always kind of holler a lot and you seem pretty passionate, but today seems a little over the top. I'm fearful. I'm fearful. Because I know how bad he wants us. That's why. I'm so afraid he's going to snatch one. And I so passionately want you to hear this truth. You are victorious. But you need to be filled with the Spirit. Surrender to the Spirit. You need to be filled with the Word of God. And you know what? You need to stay in the herd. You need to stay in the herd. That is the key to being a lion tamer. Would you bow your heads right there? And starting today, we're doing something that's a little bit different. I'm not going to ask you to stand. I'm going to ask you to please stay in your seats. Don't leave unless you absolutely have to. This is God time. This is the most important time. We won't stay a minute longer than we need to. I know we have places to go, but this is God's moment. I'm going to ask Dave to go ahead and start playing gently on the guitar. And I'm waiting down front. Brother Brent's gone today. I'm sure you noticed. It's okay. No, it's okay. So today is this. Have you come to a point in your life when you realized just how much God loves you? Did you hear that truth today? That on a Roman cross, much like that one, that Jesus died for you? But on purpose, purposefully, because the wages of sin was death, and he paid the price for our sins. And that if you're willing today to turn from your sin and trust his grace, you can call God Father. I would love to share that with you personally this morning, even right now. So I'm going to give you the freedom, every head bowed and your eyes closed, no one's looking around, to just stand quietly at your seat and come down front and say, Dwayne, I've never had that. I never had that. I want today to be that day. But perhaps you're here today and you've trusted Christ as Savior. Perhaps today you know you're a follower of Jesus Christ. But you also know this. The lion's been chasing you, hadn't he? Why don't you declare your dependence on God today? Declare your need for God. Why not today? And you may not fully understand because I don't fully understand it. But as a believer in Jesus Christ, say, God, I want you to take control. I want to be filled with the Spirit. And again, that's not, that's not a supernatural thing in way of utterances. That's surrender. That's surrender. God, I've tried to do this. And I've not been the dad. I've not been the mom. I've not been the husband. I've not been the wife. I've not been the child, the student. I know God. I've been trying to do this. And so today I surrender to you. When I make a commitment today 
to get into the Word of God so it can get into you. Why don't I make a commitment today to study being a lion tamer every morning for 15 minutes with the Word of God and you in prayer? Why don't I make that commitment? Remember back at the very beginning? It's so unwise to say, no, I'll keep doing what I'm doing. I hope it turns out okay. Why not make a change? Why not God making a change in your life? Now, some of you have have made a decision to trust Christ, but you've never been baptized. Baptism has nothing to do with your salvation, but has everything to do with your obedience. Maybe today's the day you'd like to be baptized. Or perhaps God spoke to you about joining our fellowship, being part of the team here at Dorsville. Perhaps today you'd like to do that. And again, we can answer those questions. Just simply ask that you stand to your feet and say, Dwayne, I need help today. I need help. This is our God time. And the cool part is you talk to him right there, right now, as he speaks to you. I love what he showed me. Look up and see the hand. You'll find it with a nail print. Because it's the hand of the one who died for you. See, he said, I won't forget you. I have you engraved in the palm of my hand. How incredible. Someone's come forward requesting membership in our fellowship, and we're so excited about that. I'd like to pray one more time. And I want to remember, well, there's just so many, but one of our members requested that, Dwayne, would you please remember me in prayer today? And we're off the radio, so she probably won't hear this, but it was Judy Calger. She had knee replacement surgery, and, you know, Judy's such a goer. She's really struggling with just being at home. And she said, I'll be worshiping today at home. And I promised her we'd pray for her. And I know there are others. Some have been to the funeral home this week. Some have faced surgeries this week, medical procedures. Some are battling cancer. Some are so concerned about their children and relationships. So let me lead us in a time of prayer. And then, then we're going to stand our feet. And we're going to sing as the team plays with us. And we'll just give the invitation time a little bit more. And then we'll call it a day. So, Father, thank you very much for your word. I'm so amazed how fresh it is. Day after day after day. When I see the imagery in my mind of that hand over my head. And in that hand, a large nail print. It amazes me, your incredible love for me. Thank you for that. Thank you, God. Thank you that you care. Casting all your cares upon me because I care for you. So for my friend here today who has not experienced your amazing grace, draw them to you today. For my brothers and sisters of our church family, oh God, how I pray your protection, your wisdom, your strength on them. 
And Father, as we journey, may we be filled with the Spirit. May we be filled with the Word. May we seek out wise counsel. Father, I pray for our students. Oh my, it's so hard being a student today. It's so hard being a teenager today. And may we be the kind of adults, one that lives the life, but two, that we have a relationship with them where they feel open and free to come and talk with us, knowing they won't find condemnation or even look down upon them, but they'll find someone who loves them. I pray for mom and dads to have that kind of relationship with their children. I pray for that. So God, do your intended work today. And we pray for our sister Judy and others like her today whose life is hard. They find themselves in that wilderness we talked about last week. But knowing you're sovereign, and if that's where you have them, that you'll never leave them nor forsake them. So thanks, God, for what you're going to do. And Jesus, I pray this in your precious name.